Hi there, it's Mark from Third Shot Sports. Welcome to Pickleball Problems. On this episode of the show, we talk to referee Don Stanley, and we go through some of the important changes to the 2020 Pickleball rulebook. Whether you're a rec player who just enjoys playing at the local YMCA, or someone who's hitting the tournament circuit, you're going to want to know about some of these important rule changes to make sure you're playing the game within lines. Stay tuned. Hello, Mark. Hey, Don. How are you doing? You're one of the preeminent pickleball referees that we have in the sport, and I'm really happy to have you here to uh, talk about... Uh, some of the rule changes that we're seeing in 2020. Well, I appreciate that, and I'm very honored. Thank you for those nice comments, and uh, it it is my obsession, uh, as my <laughs> wife my, as my wife says. So, <laughs> um, so maybe before we get into some, I don't think we're going to talk about all of the rule changes, at least not on this episode of the show. Okay. But maybe you can say something to our listeners about what is it that makes a good rule. Right. What is it that if I if you were reading the rule book and you said, oh, this one's not so good or this one could be better. What is it specifically that people that might be involved in this? What is it that if I um, what is it that really makes a great rule? Uh, for me, that's easy to answer coming from a referee standpoint. Uh, two things. Um, fairness um, to both teams and clarity. And what I mean by that is. Uh, I, as a referee, I never want to be put in the position of trying to determine, you know, what you were thinking or your intent, uh, because that's inside your head, a player's head, and I don't know. I have no problem judging actions, um, but I think what makes a good rule is clarity, uh, a dividing line, although some things just have to be a judgment call because there's too many variables, but I think fairness and clarity um, – I think are what make a good rule. Fairness and clarity. And to me, it also seems like, well, maybe not, maybe I'm wrong about this reading too much into it, but you know how um, sometimes when people talk about uh, certain historical documents, right? So one that's been sort of in the news lately has been the constitution. And, and sometimes we think about, um, or there's a debate about whether how you're interpreting it now should reflect kind of the state of things as they are. And then there'll be another group of people that say, no, no, it's not about that. We should take into consideration the original intent when that document was created. And so if we put that into a pickleball context, you as a referee or you as someone who cares about the rules that are involved in pickleball now, to what extent do you kind of think about it through this sort of modern lens about where the sport is or where we think the sport is going versus what we believe the intent was when, you know, the sport was invented in the first place back in the 60s. You know, I'll, I'll kind of equate that, Mark, to, um, uh, you know, I, I grew up my whole life in in churches. Uh, and, you know, it, it, the, the younger people would come along with the new style of praise and worship, but then the older people who liked the more traditional hymns, uh, you know, but they were the ones that built the church, so to speak. So I, I think I'm at an age or point in my life where you you kind of need to see the trends of where it's going, the style of the you know the pros, what they're doing now, and do we need to adjust the rules for that? 
um, but also keep the, the core uh, of the game, the intent, the same. Uh, sometimes, though, and I'll, I'll say this right now to make a plug for this, um, I think this year that they came out with the change document for the first time that I've seen that it gives the reason behind the rule change and a few scenarios because so many times I would hear people say, well, you know, you've got to stick to the original intent of the rule, and I want to ask people, okay, where's that printed? You know, is it your opinion of the original intent, or, you know, what are you basing that on? So um, I, I do believe it, it takes a mixture of both, keeps the game as it was intended, although things do change. Um, but it's good to now see the thinking and reasoning behind the rule changes. I think that helps so many people understand the rule better. Maybe if they don't like it, they maybe aren't as mad once they get to find mm. out why it was changed. Yeah, I think that's, you know, what it reminds me of, it's kind of like, um, you know, in, in school when you're, you're figuring out a math problem, and at least when I grew up, uh, you're always encouraged to not just come up with the answer, but to show how you got to that answer, right? To be able to justify that answer. And even if the final product that you got to, even if that wasn't right, because who knows, you know, you replaced a three with an eight or something by mistake, um, the person looking at it could at least understand how it was that you got to that final answer, right? There was, there was sort of some, um, there's some understanding behind the final product. And so I agree with you in that change document, and we'll link to it here in the show notes so everyone can see not just the new rules, but um, specifically the change document that shows some of the new rules and, and uh, the reason, the reason or the rationale given for why they were changed. Um, I agree with you. I really liked that aspect of it this year. Well, good. I will say this. I do know there's a, a couple of updates that have come out. I think the one that's going to be released tonight on the 14th, since all the rules go into effect tomorrow, um, there is another one that's going to be released tonight with a few changes, a few, few typos, things like that. So I encourage everyone after on the 15th tomorrow to download that new change document and read it. It will answer so many questions. It really will. That's great. Okay, so we'll we'll include that in the show notes. Um, today I wanted to talk to you uh, not about all of the changes, but of some of the rules that uh, that I thought might be uh, most applicable to the average player. And whether you're an average player who just plays recreationally at your club, but you you know you follow the rules of pickleball, or whether you're an average player who might be going out to a tournament. Um, there are some rules that I think might have more of an impact on them or some changes more of an impact than others. So can we, uh, can we get to some of those, Don? Well, oh, that's, you'll have to click the phone off because I can do this all day long. <laughs> okay, well, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back in a second looking at the rule changes for 2020. Hello, Mark Renison here. Do you like the work that I do at Third Shot Sports? If so, I think you'll really love our new experimental project called The Pickleball Lab. Every couple of weeks, you'll get a super exclusive email featuring all sorts of brand new pickleball material, articles, videos, guest interviews, pro point breakdowns, and even special contests and giveaways. And we don't post these things anywhere else. The Pickleball Lab is super exclusive. It's basically like a pickleball party in your inbox. And as well as getting all sorts of this great stuff for yourself, your subscription supports the work that I'm doing with Third Shot Sports. It makes it possible for us to do all of this other really cool work, including this podcast. 
So why not head over to thepickleballlab.com and start your 15-day free trial. It costs you nothing. You can take the lab for a spin, and if it's not a good fit for you, no problem. You can cancel without paying a cent. But I'm pretty confident that if you like the work I do at Third Shot Sports, you're going to love what we're offering over at the Pickleball Lab. So head over to thepickleballlab.com today and give it a try. Thanks. All right, welcome back to Pickleball Problems. Mark Renison here alongside referee Don Stanley. And today we're talking about some of the rule changes in the 2020 Pickleball Rulebook. So, Don, we're going to address some of the uh, rule changes that might be most pertinent to the average pickleball player. And I want to start with, in the change document, it's called number six. And uh, in the rule book, this is 3.8.6. And it's another question of distraction. So it says here, as the rule is written, physical actions by a player that are, quote, not common to the game, end quote, that in the judgment of the referee interfere with their opponent's ability or concentration to hit the ball. Examples include, but are not limited to, making loud noises, stomping feet, waving the paddle in a distracting manner, or otherwise interfering with the opponent's concentration or ability to hit the ball. So that's the the rule as it's written here. And uh, the reason is given that it's to define distraction faults. Um, so does this mean that, you know, if my opponents are are getting ready to hit the ball, I can no longer run up to the kitchen line or I can no longer sort of fake that I'm going left and instead go right? Like, what does this, what does this rule about distraction um, mean for me if I'm the average player? Um, that, that's a very good one. I do think there are two big points to the distraction rule and definition. Um, I will say that I love the phrase that they've added, uh, not common to the game. Um, quick example, if, if you and I are playing and I lob a short lob up and the other team's going to smash it, okay, if I kind of look to you or turn my head and yell, you know, watch it like you're going to get smashed, well, that's all fine and normal, okay? That's common to the game. But let's say that same issue happens, so I'm playing mixed doubles, I hit the lob up, and my dear sweet grandmother's on the other side, and she's about to smash it, and I lean forward and look at her and yell, watch it! Okay, that could definitely be a distraction, uh, because it's not common to the game that I'm going to look forward, look at the opponent, yell out at them, even though I'm saying the same words, you know, watch out. Mm. So, I really like that it leaves it with the referee judgment um, to determine, hey, that's just so out of whack, uh, that's not common to the game. Um, I, I will say this, you know, some players uh, will uh, fake or feign, feign a movement, uh, like to the middle, like they'll move their arm, shall we say, straight across to mm-hmm. cut, off, cut off a shot, you know, a lane. Uh, I think that's complete strategy, you know, um, make you think, oh, I can't go on that lane, i got to go around it. So that, to me, that's just strategy and savvy. Um, you know, there's a the famous one, you know, raising your hands up and down like a goalpost alternating. What what in, on earth does that have to do with the game? So, you know, things like that, not common to the right. game. Right, so, so yeah. if, my, if, let's say, my partner and I are engaging in this sort of cross-court dinking battle and they've hit 5, 10, 15, 20 in a row back and forth to each other, they're clearly picking on one another, I'm clearly not getting the ball anytime soon, and I don't know, I, 
I decide to wave my arms around, or I decide to, what if I decide to sit down on the court? Would that be considered, I mean, I, I would argue that sitting on the court isn't common to the game of pickleball, and could we put that in the category of a distraction? Ooh, that's a, that's a good one. Uh, I think I would lean towards, if you're sitting down, uh, you're, you're, you're putting yourself at a disadvantage. Um, I, I would think in my mind, now that's just being disrespectful to the opponent, which I don't care. Um, but I, I probably wouldn't make that, I probably wouldn't call that a distraction um, in, that, in that scenario. Um, because you're not doing any body movement that could, you know, catch their peripheral vision. Um, and you put yourself at a gigantic disadvantage. I, I probably wouldn't call that a distraction. Okay, well, there you go. So it's an interesting one because, um, and I, I threw a bit of a curveball at you with this first one, because this is one of those real questions where it says, in the judgment of the referee. And so right. anytime that there's uh, judgment to be made here, there's always, there's a little bit of wiggle room. Now, um, before we move on to the next question, so what happens in a situation where I'm not playing in a refereed match? So whether I'm playing in my local community center or I'm playing in a tournament, but there's no referee, does that mean that if if my opponents do something that I judge to be a distraction, I can call that on them the same way that I might call, I don't know, a kitchen violation? You know, there's three three good points, and I want to go to a more global one. I do want to, the other half of that distraction is, uh, it's only a distraction fault if you're doing something when the opponent is about to play the ball. You know, I, I get a lot of questions on, hey, my opponent was doing this, and it was distracting to me right when they hit the ball. Well, even though that's not in writing, uh, talking with a lot of refs and rules committee, a, a distraction needs to happen when when the opponent is about to play the ball. So if the ball is not even on my side of the net, um, that probably doesn't count as a distraction. So that's an important part, is, are, is a team doing something distracting when the opponent is about to play the ball. That, that's an important category. So to get to your question, uh, the first answer is, number one, uh, it's, it's not a call that you can enforce like line calls on your side of the net. But, of course, you can mention it to the team. Say, hey, man, that was distracting. You know, that, that's a fault. You were distracting me. If the other team agrees with you, then fine. It's a fault. Carry on. If they don't, your only recourse is call the head rep or tournament director, explain the situation, and hopefully at least the other team will agree, yes, I did what they said, but here's my side of the story. Um, I mean, if, if both teams don't agree on what happened, that's there's no way a head ref or tournament director can even make that decision because, you're, you know, who's telling the truth? We don't know. Right. But if both teams agree that the action happened, the ref or tournament director could make a judgment that, yes, that is a distraction. So that's that's your recourse when you don't have a ref. Okay. Well, there you go. And I guess in a, in a non-refereed match or a rec play, you know, you just – um, there is no tournament director or head referee. I guess you just sort of hope that people can kind of work out their disagreement here and, and move on. Yes, that's that's true. <laughs> okay. Um, I want to talk about another rule here. And uh, in the, um, the rule change book, this is number 18. It's rule uh, 3A38. So let's hear. And this has to do with the service motion. Okay. 
And uh, it looks to me here like um, the reason that's given is that they provide a more specific definition of the service motion. And the way it is defined here, uh, 3A38, is the movement of player's arm to serve the ball. The service motion may consist of a forward swing only or be a combination backswing and continuing forward swing. So what is significant about this rule change, this update, and um, how might it have been a little bit different from how we understood or defined the service motion previously? Uh, you know, I think uh, this is so important because, number one, it happens every rally, of course. Um, I think the only thing that changed this year was they they combined the backswing and continuing forward swing. Um, the ref handbook uh, expounds upon the fact that a player can do a pre-service routine. Um, Tyson McGuffin does his circular motion, you know, and then stops. Okay. Um, Marnay Smith always does a pull back to the back and stops. You know, she cocks the trigger, so to speak. So in those situations, that's a pre-service routine because there is a distinctive stopping. But normally, if you pull back and continue forward to serve the ball, that's what's defined as a service motion, and a lot of things can come into play. If you start that before the ref finishes calling the score, you know, that's a fault. Um, so that it's a small thing, but I think they changed to it can be a backswing or combination backswing and continuing forward swing. They just defined it a little a little better. Okay, and where this may have implications, as you say, has to do with if you're in the refereed match or even if you're just calling the score yourself, if pulling the paddle back as part of the backswing itself as part of the serve, there can be implications about um, did that server wait until the score was called before they began their serve? Whereas if we're just talking about it being the forward swing constituting the serve, then um, then that's a sort of different moment uh, of when that serve begins. Is that is that what we should take away from this? Yes, exactly. Okay, uh, great. So let's look at one more here. Um, okay. In the rule change, sort of the summary of the various rules changes, this is number 23. And uh, in the rule book, it's 4.a.6. And uh, this here uh, has to do with uh, the serve. And uh, I'll read it for our listeners here. Quote, the highest point of the paddle head must not be above the highest part of the wrist, where the wrist joint bends when it strikes the ball. And the rationale given here is that it says the rule was changed to eliminate the inconsistency uh, from a 2019 rule. So, Don Stanley, can you tell us a little bit about um, why would this uh, sort of language be changed to now be the highest point of the paddle head must not be above the highest part of the wrist? What is significant about this rule? Um, uh, the, the main reason was for the change. Last year in 2019, um, for a, I believe it was 4A6 again, the first two sentences basically contradicted each other, and I don't have it in front of me, but it, one said basically cannot be above, and the second sentence said uh, even with. Well, those two sentences contradict each other, so they really just uh, wanted to make get rid of that contradiction. Uh, and then the debate came over, well, everything used to before would be below, like below the wrist and below the waist, Okay. Now they've changed it. They got rid of the contradiction, so the the rule doesn't contradict itself. 
But now basically 4A6, along with 4A7, uh, the waist, basically say now you can't be above the wrist and you can't be above the waist. Now, to me, we're talking about a gnat eyelash of a difference. <laughs> the fact of being, you know, the paddle head must be below the wrist, or now it says it cannot be above the wrist. I mean, it, it could be a millimeter's difference, mm-hmm. but uh, they changed it. So now it's just the paddle head can't be above the wrist, and the contact point with the ball cannot be above the waist rather than below. Yeah. But it's so doggone close. <laughs> yeah, it seemed to me before that some of the wording almost assumed that um, the the paddle face and the edge of the paddle were sort of two different parts of the paddle. It was, I, f- I found that a little bit ambiguous here. And, um, and so, right. I like this where, uh, they sort of combined it all like the paddle. And so am I right to understand, and this is a misunderstanding people often have, um, I don't have to make contact with my paddle below my wrist. It can be in line with, right. And here it says where the wrist joint bends. So as long as I'm in line with or lower, than the wrist when I make contact, I'm okay. The problem comes when some part of the paddle head is above where that wrist joint bends, correct? Exactly, exactly. Cannot be above it now. Okay, great. So we're going to take a quick uh, break and we're going to come back in a minute. And we've got uh, another rule change that is going to try to combat some of the tricky stuff that people do <laughs> on the pickleball court. In the beginning, we gave you unlimited power and ask just one thing in return. Just one thing. Just keep it in. What were we thinking? Mistakes were made. Lives were lost. But this time, just relax. We've got you covered. Selkirk. Power. Control. No compromise. All right, welcome back to Pickleball Problems. I'm your host, Mark Renison. This week, we're talking to referee extraordinaire Don Stanley, and we're covering some of the changes to the 2020 pickleball rules. We've already addressed some of the rules um, having to do with serving the service motion. So, Don, there's one I'd like to talk about here, and uh, in the change document that the has been provided and that we'll link to in the show notes, uh, under number 29, they address rule 4.C.1. And this has to do with not being ready. And I'll read it out for our audience. Quote, one of the following signals must be used to indicate not ready. Option one, raising the paddle above their head. Option two, raising the non-paddle hand above their head. And option three, completely turning their back to the net. So, Don Stanley, what is the difference about this? What is what is new for 2020 when it comes to indicating to the referee or to the opponents that you're not ready? Um, you know, 4C1 and 4C2 really uh, are combined, and we need to touch on them both. Last year um, and years before, only the proper reserver, uh, server and the proper receiver could officially signal not ready, okay? Very few people knew that. Um, if the part players gave a not ready signal, the ref is supposed to ignore that. And it just led to some sticky situations. You know, the, the ref called the score and the receiver's partner had their paddle raised and said, hey, I was raising my paddle. Well, I have to ignore you. And it, it was just a rule that needed to be changed. Um, plus, even, even if you were the incorrect receiver lined up to receive serve, but you were the 
wrong one, if you gave the signal, that was supposed to be ignored because only the proper receiver could be give the signal. Now, I love it in 2020. Number one, any uh, any player, any player can give a not ready signal. Okay, it used to say turn your one of the signals was turn your back to the server. Well, since the server is also allowed, but rarely does, admittedly, rarely does give a not ready signal. Now you just everyone turns their back to the net. That's an official not ready signal. But here's the key with that. Now, once the ref starts to call the score, once the ref utters that first syllable, you know, I, as a ref, I would check, scan everybody, make sure nobody's giving out ready signal. I'll, I'll give them time they need as long as they're not delaying the game. But once I start to call the score, the th of five, five, four, two, once I start, any not ready signal is irrelevant, so to speak. It doesn't exist. And that goes cuts both ways. Before, uh, once the ref had called the score, if a player gave a not ready signal, it was an automatic fault. Um, now, we're not going to fault a person for doing that. And on the flip side is we're not going to honor it. So basically, once the ref sees that people are ready to play, once they start calling the score, that's it. The score's being called. We're not going to fault you, and we're not going to honor it. So I think this is a good rule change. It takes some of that stickiness or trickiness out of it and calls for debate. It's just real straightforward now. I, I, that's probably my number one happy thing that they did. Right. And so if I want to indicate to the referee or to the other team that I'm playing with that I'm not ready, um, as well as putting my paddle above my head, which people, many people are familiar with that as a not ready sign, or putting my hand up over my head, I can also just turn my back to the net. And that's an indication to everyone that I'm not ready, whether I'm the uh, receiver or the receiver's partner or even the server's partner, correct? Exactly right. And 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 here again, there is there is a common sense, shall I say, limit to that. Um, I I like giving the receiving team ample time to get ready, uh, because the server always has ten seconds. They can take time and wipe their glasses if they want to. So I will scan everyone and see if anyone's given a signal, and I will I will allow that as long as it doesn't cross the line into, okay, you're just starting to delay the game or you're starting to control the. Uh, you know, the momentum of the serving team. And I will call the score when, okay, that's it, we've got to play, then you call the score. So to be specific, let's say the receiver's partner is holding their hand up, right? and I'll honor that. But if it gets, finger quotes, too long, I will call the score even while they have their paddle raised, their hand raised, and we're, and we're playing ball. You know, if, if you want to talk to me afterwards why I did that, well, I'll tell you. But still yet, the pace and control of the game is still in the hands of the referee who's, you know, unbiased, and and that's good. So even if they're showing a signal, it will come to a certain point where you're saying, we've got to play ball, and you call the score. Okay, well, there we go. Um, all right, I've got two more that I want to address here. Uh, number 34 in the change document, and I think before – Reading this updated rule, I think what I want to do, this is an interesting one um, because they gave a scenario that um, that could be involved. So here's the scenario. Um, my partner and I, uh, we are getting ready to serve and we're in the middle of a game and my partner is serving on the right side and I'm standing on the left side. And my opponents are getting ready to receive my partner's serve on the right side. And my opponents 
seem to think that something's up, that my partner's not actually the correct server. I'm the correct server. But my partner's got the ball on the right-hand side of the court. She's getting ready to serve cross-court to the person who's at the baseline and the person directly in front of her, the receiver's partner, is at the net. And just before she serves incorrectly, which would be a fault, the score gets called. My partner quickly tosses the ball to me standing at the left. And then I serve cross-court into the correct court with my opponent standing in the wrong place because they were adjusting their receiving position according to how we had set up a serving. So we essentially faked them out. We faked like we were going to serve to the wrong court. And then at the last second after the score was called, they tossed the ball over, or we switched sides and then served to the right court. And we might catch our opponents off guard by doing that tricky little move. And so the rule here, the update, I'll read it out now. This is number 34 in the change document, rule 4.e.3. Quote, after the score has been called, if the serving team changes serving courts, causing the receiving team to be incorrectly positioned, the server shall allow the receiver time to reposition and the score shall be recalled to restart the 10 second count. In a non-officiated match, the server will allow for the same repositioning. So Don Stanley, is this essentially done to avoid these kind of tricky fake out plays that teams, at least in theory, might be able to have employed in the past? 100% yes answer to that question. And I, I can give a little bit of background here. You know, back in 2018, um, it was changed that once the score had been called, the receiving to, or, or no one, no one could give a not ready signal. Well, uh, I think the rules came out in February of 2018. Well, uh, the next day, <laughs> uh, I'm not kidding, I had someone, I was practicing repping, and he set up to serve, like you said, and then long story short, he's, as soon as I called the score, he jumped courts, served it to the other uh, receiver's partner who was up. And, and I went, what? And he goes, hey, that's legal now. They can't become not ready. And I thought, oh, wow. So then this whole issue of the, quote, trick serve uh, came into play, and they put it in the case book and gave referees what we should do. It's now in the rule book. So... I think there's sometimes that, yes, somebody might intentionally. Here's the thing, Mark. You can't blame the receiving team for lining up according to how they see the serving team line up. You know, you can't blame them for doing that, even if they know that they're wrong. You know, you're going to say, well, hopefully the ref will catch that fault. If not, I'll point it out. So we can't blame the receiving team for lining up according to how the serving team is lined up. Okay, okay. Can, can I push back a little bit against that? Sure. So, you know, Lately, I've been watching a little bit of football, and okay. we've had college football on, and we've had pro football on. I've been watching a little bit. And what teams regularly do, the teams with the ball, very often try to set up to kind of communicate to their opponents that they're going to do one thing, a running, a running play or a passing play or whatever. But very often, they do something different. They trick them. Right, They get one guy running in motion, and then they don't do anything with him, or sometimes they don't even snap the ball to the quarterback anymore. Right, they, they trick their opponents. They try to throw them off by setting up in one way and then doing something else. Why is it okay in something like football, where what you're actually doing maybe differs from what you're suggesting you're going to do, why is that okay in something like football, but not okay in something like pickleball? Uh... 
because football they wear pads. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> um, that's a that's a very good question, Mark. Um, you know, or I think of like you know the old uh, the old baseball trick where there's a runner at first base and he's leading sure. off or she's leading yeah. off and the pitcher throws to first base and the person goes back diving and the person at first base pretends to throw the ball back to the pitcher and so the right. the runner thinks they can safely come off the base again but lo and behold the person playing first base has the ball in their glove and they tag the person out right they tricked them they deceived them that's true i don't i don't know i i would argue i'd argue there's like i don't know about this one i feel like there's korean pickleball and i don't think that's necessarily bad i don't know i I would just say this I, i think that this came about since they took away basically the receiving team being able to signal not ready Okay, they took that away from them, and they realized it was an unintended consequence of this happening because they took the not ready signal option away. So I, I believe that I said, "Oh wow, look what we've done here. We we changed this, and now there's an unintended consequence where somebody can blatantly just trick people and fake them out." And I guess they felt like, who knows? Maybe it was guilt, <laughs> but they felt like, well. We didn't really mean for this to happen. We didn't think people would start doing that. So they came up with a way to remedy it. That's my best guess. Yeah, I mean, we could do a whole nother podcast episode on on whether the rule changes like are good for the sport or not. I mean, that's a that's a different kettle of fish, right? What we're trying to do today is establish what some of these rule changes are and what they mean. But I would say, you know, even I'd even put this in the category of the nasty Nelson, right? When someone is serving and instead of serving diagonally into the service box the way they're supposed to, they intentionally serve at the receiver's partner who's standing at the net with the goal of hitting that person with a serve in the air and then taking the point. And, uh, or I don't know, I'd put it in that same category of, of using trickery. And, um, but I think, I think different people could argue convincingly on either side of that, um, of that debate. So why don't we put that aside and, and head over to, um, and head over to one last uh, rule update that you wanted to talk about. And uh, Don, this is number 58 in the change guide, 10 point C, and it's related to hydration. And so it says here that um, in 2019, uh, they talked about officially authorized hydration breaks and they've discarded that. And now here's the new rule, hydration, quote, Players are permitted to quickly hydrate in between points as long as, in the judgment of the referee, the flow of the game is not adversely impacted. The referee shall call the score when play should be resumed. So what can you tell us about this rule, uh, why it might have been updated, and what it means for the average player? Okay, this this is probably my second favorite, not that we're keeping track. Um, But in 2019, what we had was, um, if the tournament director had authorized, you know, official hydration breaks, we found, or they found, that it took control of the pace of the game effectively out of the referee's hands. And I want to say this, I'm not a control freak, but when you take it out of the ref's hands, the receiving team, all they had to do was say, hey, ref, hydration break, okay? There was no limit on how many they could ask for. Um, there was no set time limit other than, you know, quickly. So what they were finding was uh, 
receiving team, if the serving team was on momentum, on a roll, they would start asking for hydration breaks once they had been officially authorized, and the ref had to grant them. Well, it got so bad that some good-intended referees took it upon themselves to say, okay, I'm only going to allow a hydration break when the serving team asks for it to remove the possibility that the receiving team can slow down the momentum. Well, uh, okay, there's nothing in the ref handbook that says, you know, we're allowed to do that. So it just became a, a sticky issue, and uh, it was exploited, and now they've just changed it to there are no more officially authorized hydration breaks. If the ref, if it's hot and you're sweating, and, you know, in the ref's judgment, in the interest of health and safety, if a team wants to quickly hydrate, and not affect the pace of the game, and there are, you know, those are some general vague statements, then the ref can allow it, okay? The ref is still in charge of the pace of the game, and uh, so we don't, the ref doesn't have to allow it if if, uh, he thinks the the receiving team is trying to stall the reserving team, okay? He doesn't have to allow it, but uh, it's all in the ref's hands now. If you see them, let them get a quick drink. Usually if one team asks, the other team will go get a quick drink anyway, and then the ref will get them back to playing the game. I know the rule says uh, the ref will call the score when play is to resume. Um, I think as a courtesy, because you don't give a 15-second warning, how do the players know when the ref's going to call the score? So I think I'm going to, as a courtesy, say, hey, everybody, we got to play. Let's go. Right. And then, oh, I'm getting ready to call the score. So I... I love this one. It took it out. The it, it wasn't exploited anymore. If you need a drink, take a quick drink. We won't impact the flow of the game. I think it's a, a great change. Right. So it says here that um, there's a note here that goes with it that says the time between the end of one rally and serving to start the next one averages from 9 to 25 seconds. That's a pretty big gap, but 9 to 25 seconds. There is right. ample time for players to get a quick drink and or towel off in between points. Sure. Okay. Yeah, and that, there's time to do that. And um, will there be uh, a rule about players talking to one another or getting oh, any coaching yeah. related to this hydration break? Because I know sometimes people aren't sure on, um, are you allowed to speak to your partner when you do this? Or what's the deal with that? Oh, thank you for bringing that up. I can't believe I skipped that. But so again, last year, uh, if you did ask for a hydration break, you couldn't talk to your partner. Okay. Now, if we're both walking over, sorry, I just reached puberty there by my voice changing. If we both are walking <laughs> over to the to get a drink, why can't I say to my partner, "Hey, man, we got to get up to the kitchen faster"? What, what the? So this part about not being able to talk to your partner, uh, no strategy. I mean, what's the ref supposed to do? Be an eavesdropper? Uh, it was just a a bad rule all the way around. Now, if you get a quick hydration break. Who cares if you talk to your partner? I just I just think this rule is so much more simple and so much better for the players. Right. And then yeah. and then still because this isn't a timeout, uh, there would still be no coaching allowed from yes. an outside third party, but players could talk with one another. Exactly. You can chat with your partner on where you want to go to dinner. No big deal. <laughs> All right. Um, that brings us to the end of this episode of Pickleball Problems, where we're talking about referees and the new rules specifically. Um, but, Don, there are a lot more new rules that might have an effect on people. So, can I invite you to come back uh, 
on a future episode to talk about some of the other changes that people might want to know about? Uh, yes, I'm just going to stay right by my phone and wait for your call. Because I love this stuff. <laughs> I'm sure you will. <laughs> uh, that that sounds great. Well, uh, referee Don Stanley, um, I really want to thank you for being part of the show today. Do you want to tell us about anything that you've got coming up um, on the referee referee side of things going for you in 2020 that you're looking forward to? Uh, boy, if you could see the grin and smile on my face right now, that would be amazing. I, I am uh, honored, and that's the best word I can say, is to be uh, the head referee for all the PPA, the Pro Pickleball Association, uh, the seven tournaments here in 2020. And uh, it's a great honor and a great responsibility. And I'm just, uh, that reinvigorated me for this year, which was, <laughs> which is a good thing. I'm very excited about that. Yeah, I know it is uh, the PPA, the Professional Pickleball Association, a series of seven tournaments happening all over the United States from uh, middle of February until September. It's an exciting event. And uh, you know what, Don, a little teaser here. I might uh, see at a couple of those events myself. Well, that would be great to hear. And let me say this. Uh, this is a shameless plug, but uh, the first one is in Mesa, Arizona, uh, the weekend of Valentine's Day in February. We need more refs. So go to the PPA referee uh, page on Facebook and uh, email me. We need you. We love you. We'll, we'll pay you. We want you. <laughs> there you go. And people better brush up on their 2020 rule changes to do that. Um, well, refer referee Don Stanley, thanks so much for being here. And uh, we'll talk to you next time on Pickleball Problems. Thank you, Mark. Very honored. All right. Thanks, Don. Thank you. And we'll leave it there. Thanks for listening this week. And thanks to referee Don Stanley for coming in and telling us about some of these rule changes. We're going to have him back on a future episode because there's been a lot of changes to the 2020 rulebook. So you're going to want to make sure that you subscribe to Pickleball Problems. Be sure to check out some of our other projects like thepickleballlab.com and pickleballcoachinginternational.com where you can help yourself become a better instructor. Until then, this is Mark Renison saying thanks for listening. Bye.